does yesterday's future, which is already here, ready here, ready here, ready here, meet today's future, which is about to happen, and tomorrow's future, which could be just minutes away? Welcome to Technology Revolution, the future of now. Where host Bonnie D. Graham asks savvy futurists for their predictions about the tech-driven trends that are shaping our future right now. Here's your host, who will take us into the future of now, Bonnie D. Graham. I never remember which way I moved for the future and the past, so it's just like a hula dance. Here we go. Welcome, 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 Technology Revolution. Have I got a great show for you, and I have to tell you, full disclaimer, we had planned to do this topic about a year ago, and because of what we just finally called the pandemic, coronavirus, whatever you want to call it, and the shutdown and travel, we really didn't see any way we could do it, but we're talking today about, well, I'm just going to raise a glass here. This will give you a clue. Wine tourism, wine culture. I think the word is own viniculture, and there's all kinds of words we're going to use, but I have a, my formal opening, and I want to thank my guests. for. They didn't all wait a year to get on the show. One of them did, and that's our wine guy, Bill Newman, but Bill and I tried to plan this, and here we are. So let me just tell you, we're talking about the future of wine culture, wine tourism, and technology, and I'm going to say, as my people say, l'chaim, to life, to life, l'chaim, and to the life of wine tourism. So let me give you a couple of buzz quotes, and and then we'll go for it. And Bill, Beth, Christian, and Brenda, if I mispronounce anything, I'm not talking about your names, but terminology, somebody just yell and correct me. So wine tourism, a.k.a. is it enotourism, O-E-N-O tourism? I got that. Beth likes that one. Enotourism spelled E-N-O tourism or vinotourism, V-I-N-I as in vino wine, is a segment of the tour- tourism sector luring wine lovers to vineyards, to wineries, to cellars, and to museums dedicated to wine. During the first year of the pandemic, oh my, glad that's in the rearview mirror, the global market size of wine tourism was less than 98 billion U.S. dollars. That still sounds like a lot, but its value is expected to triple by 2030 to reach 29.6 billion euros. There we go. Somebody's getting alerts there if we can turn those off. Buzz number two, and that was from Statista.com. Buzz number two, according to a late 2020 survey, wine tourists are mainly casual wine tasters rather than wine geeks. I didn't know there was, is anybody here on the panel a wine geek? Brenda, Bill, Beth, Christian, anybody? Wine geek? I'm, I'm not. I'm just, a, I'm just a non-virtual tourist. There we go. Wine, and just a little history here, wine was first introduced in Europe by the Phoenicians through their trade in the Mediterranean in 9th century B.C., before Christ. Its production and consumption were prompted by the Catholic Church in the Middle Ages in 2020, and we're fast-forwarding, of course, and then it became something that the world wanted, so it left the church and became popular. In 2020, the revenue of the wine market in Europe was $148 billion, with several European countries included among the largest consumers of wine worldwide. Does anybody in this panel know the country with the highest per capita wine drinking? Did anybody read? Yes, there we go, and it was in my notes. I want to see if you read this. People in Portugal <laughs> consume wine, drink up Portugal, more than any other country worldwide with an annual per capita consumption of 52 liters in 2020, which was almost two years ago. Next is Italy with 47, a close tie-up. What is a liter in terms of number of glasses? Bill, Brenda, Beth, anybody? I'll have you introduce yourselves in a second. But how many liters would I have to sit here and drink to meet that, what that, the level? Six, six bottles? Six glasses. Five or six glasses. Yeah, Yeah, depending how your pore size is, right, Beth? Sure. 
Okay, depending depending on how loose that wrist is. Okay, and here I have a couple of notes here. Decanter Magazine publishes wine travel guides to Italy, South Africa, Europe, and the UK. Winepass.com organizes luxury wine tours, including intimate group trips and holidays around the world. Winemag.com, this is how popular it is, reports on the world's best wine travel from touring the historic underground caves of Champagne to playing winemaker for a day in California's Napa Valley. Maybe get a tour with Bill Newman. And uh, this is in honor of Beth. I'll tell you that winespeed.com offers a lovely tour of your wine knowledge, a quiz, and you can go and learn about what wines are called and their origins and where they are. And Beth, who will introduce herself in a minute, is the editorial and communications manager at WineSpeed. Beth, I had to put that into my notes in honor of you. So I want you each to raise your hand and wave to our audience here on LinkedIn and on Facebook when I call your name. Bill Newman, the wine guy. Hello, Bill. Bill is usually here as a car guy today. He's a wine guy. Bill, we waited a long time to get you on as a wine guy, and I'm, I'm drinking to that when I fill the glass. Beth Kazmarek, I already mentioned you. Hello, Beth. Nice to see you. Christian Ogenfus. Did I say that right? You nailed it. I'm glad. Napa Valley Wine Academy and Brenda Boudreaux at SAP. Brenda, we're so happy to have you. I know you have a lot to share with us. And our topic is the future of wine culture, wine tourism, and technology. L'chaim. Yes, to life, to life, l'chaim, to wine, to wine, l'chaim. Let's go around the table and get introductions. I'll start with Bill Newman. Panelists, please take about three minutes and tell us what you do and what's your passion for wine tourism, not just for drinking wine, appreciating it, but what is your take on why people travel with wine as a destination or along the way, perhaps, before they get there? Bill, full, full screen speaker view for you. Go ahead. Welcome back, Bill. Hey, thanks so much, everybody, and really great to, to be with everybody. It's been a long year trying to put this program together, so very excited to, to welcome this, this great panel. Um, so as Bonnie said, my name's Bill Newman. I'm normally a, a car and tech guy by a day, and uh, I'm a wine enthusiast and influencer by night. Um, I have, uh, I'm a WSET Level 2 with Merit and uh, well on my way to my Level 3. Uh, working with the Napa Valley Wine Academy. I've also earned the Oregon Wine Expert as well as the American Wine Expert designations. And I've studied and traveled in a number of different wine regions throughout, um, throughout the United States and, uh, and Europe. Um, particularly interesting to this show and topic, uh, we're gonna get into just the pandemic, how it's impacted. Um, I run a concierge group of about 100 families called Stonewood Wine Merchants, Stonewood Wine on, uh, on social media. And uh, my wife and I also own a, uh, a bed and breakfast of, of a vacation rental in the Temecula wine country called Stonewood Farms. So it'll be really interesting to share some of the observations we've seen about people and uh, their desire for uh, private vacation rentals versus hotels postponing all of those weddings that, that were blown up as a part of the pandemic and uh, other fun topics today. So again, great to be with all of you. Thank you very much, Bill. And I appreciate your being here and thank you for engaging these three wonderful people. Can't wait to hear from them. So now it's time for Beth. Beth Kazmarek, welcome. Tell us about what you do, what is Wine Speed and how did you get involved and interested in this as a, as a career? Beth, welcome. Thank you very much. I'm delighted to be here with all these great panelists. Um, I'm honored, actually. I would say starting at my, the beginning of my wine journey was very serendipitous. I was in New York uh, dancing professionally, going to auditions for Broadway shows, but paying my bills at night, uh, waiting tables in the Lower East Side. 
And slowly but surely, I stopped going to auditions and attending three-hour wine tastings with my wine director at the time, um, sommelier Paul Greco. And I think just the community in the wine industry and the way that it brings people together and uh, geography and history and culture and that link between food and, and really just society, is, it really drew me in. So I kind of spent some time b- bouncing around. I've worked quite a few different harvests in the cellar in Napa Valley was my first at Cake Bread Wine Cellars. And then uh, in Australia, in the Yarra Valley, back to Oregon in the Willamette Valley, and then out to New Zealand uh, just to do a, a big size uh, harvest with uh, Matua. And then in Germany, when I, I got a degree at Geisenheim University, I've been living in Europe for the last three years until I joined the wine speed team. So I've had the opportunity to travel a lot through wine regions that you wouldn't necessarily have at the top of your list, like Alsace in France or Jerez in, um, down in Spain for Sherry and to the country of Georgia, a very exciting up and coming wine um, area, wine country. And I worked briefly with a company in Sweden called winetourism.com, which really started their platform during the pandemic, trying to boost wine tourism uh, on the internet to get people excited and sort of knowing about different wine destinations all over the world. And coming back to the States, I had to work for one of my great idols, Karen McNeil, uh, the author of the Wine Bible and editor of Wine Speed. And what really drew me to this position is just the fast and fun uh but very, you know, sort of little sound bites, uh, a, a newsletter that you can digest in the time that you would drink a glass of wine and learn something and still have a good time. So I really think that wine tourism is going in a great direction. And uh, there's a lot out there and there's a lot of information and a lot of small sound bites all out there to, to, to bring us to it. Thank you, Beth. How nice to meet you. Thank you for the introduction. And, and let's be clear, people didn't stop drinking wine at all in the past two years they just stopped going to where the wine was right everybody let's get Mm -hmm. a a yay to that oh yeah oh yeah the tourism numbers and the dollars related to people traveling to see to taste to be part of making the wine that's what dropped but certainly Mm -hmm. and i don't have statistics on on the actual wine sales i have a feeling they probably went way up Uh, i'll drink to that as they say so thank you very much and we can talk about that later when we get to our predictions let's go to christian nice to have you sir i love your background there and uh your pr picture was fascinating it has you holding a glass with a splash of wine going all over Stop motion photography, I'm guessing, or you had a Hollywood crew doing that with you. So, <laughs> Christian Bravo on a fabulous picture. Christian, I'm putting you on speaker view for our audience on LinkedIn and Facebook and for all of us. Would you please tell us who you are and what you do and how did you get that fabulous picture? Christian, welcome. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, my name is Christian uh, Ogenfus, and uh, I'm one of the founders of Napa Valley Wine Academy. Uh, a wine school here based in, in headquartered in Napa Valley that we founded 10, uh, 10 years ago. I've been passionate about wine for, gosh, well, more than 30, uh, 30 years. Originally uh, coming from Switzerland uh, is my home country. And my family has been in the wine business in, uh, in Switzerland for uh, several, several generations. Um, was lucky enough to then um, work here in the, in the Valley with some of the, the best brands, uh, Behringer, Stags Leap, uh, Etude, 
uh, and then finished um, up with uh, the Plum Jack Group, uh, where I was uh, director of marketing before starting uh, starting the school. So I've uh, been living the wine tourism life um, uh, for a long, long time. So we, we take a little a bit of a different bend on wine tourism uh, at Napa Valley Wine Academy. I'm, in fact, I'm going to be leaving tomorrow to take a group um, of students to Germany to tour the um, the Rheingau and the Mosul and the Tsar and the Ruwer. Um, so very, very excited uh, about that. And I'll be traveling um, four more times this year, Argentina um, to Italy, uh, to uh, Greece, uh, and then also to uh, to France. So uh, we firmly believe that um, the best way to learn about wine is to get boots on the ground uh, and have people enjoy it. So I, I deal with mostly wine geeks. So, um, um, but but definitely living here in the valley, we see that uh, casual wine drinkers are drawn to to wine tourism as well. Very, very interesting. I was going to say we need to do a retake of the movie. Not exactly the same theme. Catch him if you can. It's where is Christian today? Where in the world is Christian? Where are the wine geeks with him and what are they drinking? I, that would be a fascinating. I think they call it a vlog, a video blog. Yeah. Follow Christian around the world. Can we do that? Yeah. Like to, come on. Like, come on with me, Bonnie. I'd like to produce that with you. Yes, you, you and I will talk. Always looking for new ideas here. Thank you very much. And Brenda Boudreaux, so happy to have you. I can't wait to hear what you do. You have such an interesting job at SAP. I'm former SAP, as Bill knows, so I just want to let you know that. Brenda, I'm putting you on speaker view. Please introduce yourself. Thank you so much, Bonnie, for having me. And I'm delighted to be on this group of panelists. So my background is a little different than the other panelists. I come from the entertainment and hospitality segment. So travel is part of obviously hospitality and the entertainment. I live in Las Vegas, so the city of entertainment. I've been to uh, you know a, a few a few wine tastings, a few a few wineries. I think Bonnie, you're you're. Uh, your mention about you think wine drinking probably went up during COVID. I would totally agree with that. I know as a looking at the um, the industry as a whole, kind of from a travel and just from a meeting industry as it relates to the hospitality, you know, there were less meetings here in, in Las Vegas, but also globally. So that the virtual wine tasting was a big hit for customers and a way to engage with people, right? So I, I believe that, you know, my background from being in the hospitality and kind of being all across the country and I had global responsibilities in my past. So I had the opportunity to visit a lot of different regions in Europe. And I always like a good glass of wine, <laughs> you know, as it, in my travels and experience that. And I think this topic today about the travel industry and the wine is a great culmination together. And how technology helped us during COVID, I think is a great topic also, because it really brings, as I mentioned, it brings the three things I love, travel, wine, and technology. <laughs> so thank you for having me. <laughs> My pleasure. This topic was made for you, Brenda Boudreaux. Yes. There you go. There you go. We're now at the part of the show where I've asked my guests to send me an interesting fictional quote from a movie or TV character or a song lyric. 
and they're going to, and it has nothing to do with wine or drinking, and they're going to, and Brenda, you and I had to work on that one. Yes, yeah. <laughs> it's okay. We came up, you came <laughs> up with a good one, but I think I led you in that direction. And we're, they're going to tell us how the quote does relate to the topic, and the quotes are not, I love wine, I love wine, everybody raise a glass, nothing like that. So let's go to Around the Table. Bill Newman has picked a quote from a Beach Boys song from 1993. Bill, if you can do the math, we're now in 2022. So 2022 and seven is almost 30 years ago. Hard to believe the song is Sail on Sailor and American rock band, the Beach Boys from their 1973 album, Holland. And uh, let's see, it was released as a single and it peaked at 79 on the American singles chart, blah, blah, blah. Here is the line that Bill has chosen. Sail on, sail on, sailor. Okay, Sailor Bill. The wine guy, now you're Sailor Bill. I want, I want a wine. I want a sailor hat for you, Bill. Bill, I'm going to give you three minutes. Tell us what this has to do with wine tourism. Go ahead. Well, I, I think, uh, so first of all, I'm a native Californian. So um, for me, kind of the Beach Boys is second nature and kind of home culture. So that was that was kind of easy to, to dive into that stack for that, uh, for a song title. But, you know, I, I think the nature of the song is no matter what kind of gets thrown your way, no matter what you know, how you might be feeling, what, what you might be doing, you know, we're, we're all kind of pressing ahead. And that is, you know, the whole idea, I think, coming out of the pandemic, and particularly as it relates to, you know, food and beverage, and just frankly, enjoying life again, right? You know, we, we kind of have this, you know, kind of a bit of a shock media culture going on right now, where everything is breaking news. And, I, I just love the Beach Boys because, you know, it's like, hey, you know, no matter what, you just kind of be mellow, kind of press ahead. Everything's going to be fine. Waters might get choppy, but in the end, it's going to be smooth sailing. So sail on with a glass of wine in your hand. I like that. I like that a lot. Always happy to have a Beach Boys lyric on the show. Thank you. And Beth, let's move on to you. You've picked a song written and performed by David Bo Bowie, 1972. We're going back in time here. Five Years is the song, let's see, released on his 1972 album, The Rise and Fall of Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars. Okay, we'll leave that one alone. It's regarded as one of the song I'm going to quote in a second, one of Bowie's greatest songs and by some as one of the greatest opening tracks of all time. Interestingly, uh, Bowie performed the song throughout the Ziggy Stardust tour and on stage and in his reality tours in 2003. So here's the quote. My brain hurt like a warehouse. It had no room to spare. I had to cram so many things st to store everything in there. I didn't attempt to sing it, Beth, if you want to be my guest. Go ahead, Beth. <laughs> well, uh, going down to this quote, the entire Bowie song obviously is talking about five years until the end of some impending apocalyptic disaster. But I really take this quote as being both having positive and negative tones to it. Uh, I think we are fortunate enough to be living in a time when there's just so much information and there's so much access to information that it's sometimes a little hard to boil down and, and know exactly where we want to travel or how we want to have an experience. So we're fortunate enough to have that much information, but at times too, it can be just, how do I even, do I want to have a virtual tasting? Do I want to go in person? Do I want to have a picnic? Should we go through a walk in the vineyards? Should we stay a week or should we go to five regions in that country? So the idea that we have to take all this information in and somehow compartmentalize it and sort of decide for ourselves for each journey, what's best. 
I like that. That was, Beth, that was a very clever interpretation applying it to the topic. Thank you very much. And we're always happy also to always have a David Bowie quote lyric on the show. So thank you very much. Christian, he is quoting a movie. Um, let's see now. Sean Astin played the character Michael Mikey Walsh. Those of you who know the movie might recognize it. The asthmatic leader of the Goonies. 1985. We're moving up in time here. A little closer. Thank you very much, Christian. American adventure comedy film. I won't read the whole story, uh, but here is the four-word quote. Goon Goonies never say die. Christian, talk to us. What in the world does this have to do with wine travel? You're up. Well, well, I, I think it, it, you know, the pandemic um, threw a wrench in everyone's, uh, in everyone's plans, right? Um, and the wine industry, um, just like the Goonies, never said die, right? They pivoted, uh, we pivoted quickly. Uh, we went virtual, we brought, we did the best we could uh, in the wine industry to bring uh, experiences that you normally would have had uh, visiting um, a wine destination to your home virtually. Uh, thank you, Zoom. Thank you, uh, WebEx and all the other uh, other fantastic um, web conferencing software for being making that uh, possible. Um, yeah, I just you know the it the wine industry has always lagged from a technology standpoint behind other other industries. I always say about 10, 10 years. Uh, the pandemic really forced the wine industry um, to pick up, and I think they're now maybe two to three years behind other uh, other industries. So um, I think, it, you know, on the one side, it was it was bad. On the other side, um, it really forced the industry to change um, and then not to give up and um, to implement um, new ways of, of doing business and new ways of reaching the consumer um, still uh, from an experiential standpoint. Thank you very much. Very, very interesting. And now let's go. Of course, we had to have a Jimmy Buffett quote. And <laughs> Brenda, Brenda, we worked. Brenda first sent me a quote from one of Jimmy Buffett's books, which was fascinating, but we don't do book or real people quotes. So she had to dig deep into the lore. I actually looked up the lyrics of over 100 Jimmy Buffett songs, Brenda. And I had such a good time on my tourism travel of, of Jimmy Buffett. By the way, he is one of the wealthiest singer songwriters because he now has his own. Uh, you know, parrot heads are his followers. And he now has a restaurant chain and he is one of the richest musicians in the world. His net worth is only 900 million, if you can count that. That takes a lot of wine to get that down, right, Bill? And um, he now has retirement communities, 55 plus that are Margaritavilles, and I've read about them. They're apparently a lot of fun. Everything is, yeah, parrot headdress. What can it doesn't go with my hair? Maybe it does. Here's the quote from the song Brenda has selected. It's these changes in latitudes, changes in attitudes. I'm not going to sing the rest. Nothing remains quite the same. Oh, dear. Through all the islands and all of the highlands, if we couldn't laugh, we would all go insane. Brenda, you outdid yourself. What does this have to do with wine terrorism? Go ahead. I think just when you think of Jimmy Buffett, I think everyone knows Jimmy Buffett. You think of travel experiences. You think of it's a lifestyle, right? As you mentioned, he has opened, you know, these communities now. In fact, I saw one. Uh, there was someone that was on a show. I think it was Wheel of Fortune. And she was the fun director, director of fun. So I'm like, you know what? I think I told my husband, I'm like, I think I could do that job. I want that job. <laughs> so that will that will be my that will be my future retirement job as a director of fun. I so when you think of Jimmy Buffett, like I said, you think of, you know, travel, you think of maybe a few cocktails in there. 
uh, and really kind of experiences. So I've been to several Jimmy Buffett concerts, but I think he really encapsulates what I think of when I think of travel and wine together, right? It's, it's kind of sitting on a beach, having a nice glass of wine, or sitting on a boat, or sitting anywhere, you know, even watching um, a concert online, you know, with a glass of wine at home. So I think that really, when you think about wine and travel, I think he is a, he has his own seaplane, he likes to travel, he likes to have a good time. And I think from a, uh, a personal standpoint, we all work hard and I like to play hard. I think we all like to play hard. So I think he really, uh, you know, helps kind of, you know, you have a great time. You can be a pirate in your off time if you want. And really how that, you know, we all need to do that, especially coming out of COVID. And I think there was a lot of pent up demand for travel, a lot of pent up demand or, you know, for for actually wine travel also. So I think I all those things together is why I, I picked that Thank you very much. I try not to sing on my shows, but once in a while it just breaks through. So, yeah. I, but I do. At full disclosure, I am a drummer, and I do have my drumsticks here. But I, I didn't. These are the quiet ones, Bill. These are the ones you know you can move the band so that when you have people nearby and you don't want them to hear you, like neighbors. What can I tell you? Thank you very much, Brenda. You did great. Thank you everyone for your very clever quotes from songs, from movies. Appreciate the research. Appreciate the time it took to put those together. Sometimes, Bill, sometimes people tell me that's the hardest part of being on my shows is you have to pick a quote from a song or a fictional case. Like, what? You want me to do what? Yes, it's more fun that way, and now you know why. Let's get to our predictions. I'll pick one from each of you to start, and I'll put it into the chat. I've got one in the chat for Bill, one for Beth, one for Christian. Brenda, yours is coming in a second. So, Bill Newman, I'm going to read your first prediction, and I'd like you to expand it. Now, here's the deal. This is not a discussion roundtable. However, if Beth or Brenda or Christian has any comments about what Bill's prediction when he explains it is, just wiggle your finger, the nice finger, one of the nice finger. Wiggle your finger at me. That's why we're on Zoom, and I will see you, and I will call on you for comments. So we can, we can expand. Otherwise, we'll just go bing, bing, bing from prediction to prediction. That's how it's going to work. So Bill Newman said the following prediction number one in the near term. There is a current backlog of demand for travel, including hospitality destinations. This includes postponed demand for weddings and wine country travel due to the pandemic. Let's expand on this a little bit, Bill. Go ahead. Yeah, well, it's uh, it's interesting. So on other shows, we talk about certain industries that maybe got completely shut down during the pandemic because of obvious health reasons, right? Because we didn't know what we didn't know, and it was very obviously very dangerous uh, uh, disease we were fighting. Uh, it goes the same for um, the travel industry. Uh, Brenda will comment pro probably about more on the you know, traditional commercial um, travel and uh, hospitality spaces. Vacation rental owners in wine country, you know, people come to wine countries and wine areas for lots of different reasons. You know, they can come to enjoy the food and beverage. Uh, there are also events that have absolutely nothing to do with the wine industry that happen just because it's so beautiful. Uh, there's also facilities that are often available, uh, conferences, et cetera. Um, I think one of the things that, you know, maybe listeners don't know is, is that the vacation rental industry took a pretty major hit as well during that time. Uh, most of it was county regulated. Some of it was state regulated. I'm speaking now on behalf of, you know, what, what I experienced at least in the United States. 
but at least in Southern California wine country, uh, the vacation rental area was shut down for four months. So that's four months of, you know, not planning. That's four months of push, pushing off uh, different events. In the case of, of particular uh, uh, need for uh, private space, demand actually went up, but the supply went to nothing. And so we literally saw people when we started to come out of that um, and we're typically weekend weekend bookers, right? So people will come, they'll visit during the weekend. That's just kind of our space. Maybe some of the larger areas like Napa and Sonoma County that you know have have deeper, denser uh, populations, um, kind of go like week two weeks. But we actually saw we're normally just visiting the weekend type of thing. We had people booking for a month. We had people bringing their families out of their homes because technically they could have another home and they could go to. And now that we're coming out of the pandemic, we're really beginning to see that, you know, a lot of people were avoiding weekday weddings or weekday events or things of that nature traditionally held on weekends, no more. Everybody's taking whatever they can get. It's like trying to find a contractor to work on your house. When they're available, you take them. And if they have the materials, you take them. And the same goes for um, you know highly coveted personal and private space for your family and your friends. Um, now that we don't have to worry too much about things being you know hygienically enclosed with our clans, um, still, I think that there's a preference shift now to have personal space and that backlog in demand is only going to continue not only in domestic, but also global um, wine destinations I can see in the near future. Thank you. Very interesting. And I remember when, for me, I was, I'm a New York native. And when I was on Long Island many years ago, we would consider a day of destination would be to go to the North End, to the Hamptons and go to the wineries. And you would pick two or three and you would go and you'd pay whatever your fee was, or some of them were free. And you'd go in, maybe you'd take a tour of the, of the fields or the casks, whatever, whatever the technical terms are, I'm not getting, and the seller. And then they would bring you to a table and you would say, I'll have a little bit of this. And they would pour and you'd you'd spit or you'd you'd inhale whatever it is you the scent the the bouquet if you will and then you would get a couple of more sometimes they charged you for how many and sometimes it was and then of course they wanted you to buy something and the question was who was driving and how many wineries could you do in a day and for yes Beth one second and for people like me who can't get through one glass of wine without falling asleep it was always gee that was a good sip I think I'll buy a bottle of that and Pindar was one of just dropping a name Pindar was one of my favorite wineries because I like their winter white which was a blend it was light and a little bit fruity and I love Chardonnay so Beth go, go ahead talk that was my wine travel Beth go ahead I just wanted to add on to what Bill was saying about people really wanting to come out and have personal space for their families in, in wine country. Uh, living close to San Francisco and sort of the tech Bay area, you're seeing that a lot of people in this time of COVID were able to adjust their work environments and maybe work from home a bit more. So there has been that demand up here in the Valley to see people are taking off maybe on a Wednesday or a Thursday, working from quote unquote home at some place in the Napa Valley on Friday and then having the weekend where they're already here, they're already set up. So I think there's a lot more movement and flexibility with workspace and what that looks like. And that's increasing the tourism and expanding it into the week a bit more. 
Thank you. Very interesting. Weekday, weekend, when are you drinking and where are you going and are you driving and who's with you and how much time do you have? Let's move on. I'm looking, Beth, you're up next. I'm looking at your prediction number one. You, you titled this New Tech Stronger Push. You say, I feel that for the foreseeable future, there will be a big push to get travelers to go farther, bigger, farther, and faster with wine destination travel utilizing, here's our theme, new technology and tools created during the lull of the pandemic. Examples, the recent acquisition of Talk, the creation of platforms such as winetourism.com, and local apps such as Map My WA Wine. Love to hear about the tech. Beth, go ahead. Yeah, I think Christian mentioned earlier that the wine industry has always been at a bit of a lag behind other industries in, in tech and in communication. And I've noticed that as well. Just uh, this time during the pandemic, I, I think that a lot of businesses, those that were sort of keeping their eyes and ears open, were able to really push forward and use technology to their advantage or their business would, would fail. So I, living in the Rheingau at the time that this hit, uh, German winemakers, they do a majority of their business direct to consumer, which means uh, customers come out, drive to the wineries on the weekends and pick up cases of wine, fill their trunk and go home. But if you're all on lockdown measures or not able to travel, how do you reach your consumer? So a lot of those German winemakers were able to get on Zoom and to pivot how they communicated and putting together wine packages and bottling things in, in different creative bottlings and sending them to people's homes or businesses to do virtual tastings. And I saw a lot of companies actually pop up uh, during this time. I think, you know, the Washington Wine Organization, they started their Map My Washington Wine app where you put this on your phone and you're driving around in the countryside of Washington and every winery that's got, you know, a picnic space or an outdoor venue or live music or whatever you're looking for to sort of amplify your tourism experience in wine country is available to you before you even go there. So you know what to expect or you know what to look for. Uh, the example of talk, the acquisition in 2021 by, I think it was Squarespace, right? Uh, for $400 million. The talk in, in Napa Valley wineries, you're seeing that as a, a platform that a lot of wineries are using for people to book reservations ahead of time. They're getting an entire menu of what type of wine experience they wanna have. Do they want to have a cheese platter? Or do they want the premium experience? Do they wanna sit in the garden? Do they wanna be uh, someplace, you know, have an enriched experience. All of this is available without even speaking to an individual or having a conversation over the phone or in person. So all of this can be booked ahead of time. And you're seeing a lot of people really make that push forward uh, into tech to make it more accessible for consumers to come out to wine country and to really amplify their experiences. Winetourism.com is another great example. This, uh, is a company started by the Swedish importer Concealed Wines. And during this time that no one was traveling, no one was going anywhere, they said, let's ramp up business. Uh, and now they have, I think it's over 3,000 wineries on their site. And uh, they uh, service wine tourism in 45 different countries. So if you aren't familiar with South Africa or you know Portugal and you want to go someplace, this is a great resource to go and see who's offering what services and in what languages. Uh, maybe you don't speak Portuguese, but do they have Spanish or English? They, that'll be listed on their site, so. 
Very interesting. Thank you very much. I feel like we just had a whole education there, Beth. I appreciate that. Anybody have any comments on Beth's prediction? Yes, Brenda, join me. Go ahead. Yeah, so I wanted to say, as Beth mentioned, the use of new technologies during COVID, like the virtual wine tastings, I think that really gave the consumer the ability to kind of explore different areas, different wine areas that they might not have had in the past. So as you look as coming out of COVID, so if you explored and did some virtual wine tours of a different region you hadn't been to, then that kind of, I actually now have on my list, there are some new regions that I, I'd like to explore and travel to based on the virtual wine testings I did during COVID. And then additionally with the mobile apps, as she mentioned, you know, seeing where the wineries are. Also the mobile apps, a lot of them, they, in, uh, they incorporated augmented reality as far as you can do augmented reality, some of the wine have uh, with the label that you can have see kind of, and it gives a different view and a different connection. So if you think of the wine tourism overall, that actually also introduces some new social media aspects of it and also different demographics. So you're introducing the wine, you know, the wine industry to new, you know, new, new future wine enthusiasts. So I, I think that's just a couple of the technologies to add on to what Beth mentioned. Thank you. And necessity was the mother invention. And Beth, uh, Brenda, you, you tiptoed into the prediction I'm using for Christian. Christian, let's take a deeper dive. I'm looking at your prediction number one. You say we will begin to see VR, virtual reality, and augmented reality play more of a role in wine education and experiences. Christian, can we go with this? You want to have more to say? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think one one of the one of the challenges of of any winery is how do you scale your experience, right? You have a finite resource of uh, of people. You have a finite resource of of space. Um, and then how do you uh, uh, how do you reach a broader um, audience? So how do you reach the audience who might be interested in um, in your experience and in your product that that can't come out and travel or doesn't want to to come out to travel. So I think that's where you'll start to see VR and augmented reality um, play a role, right? We are the the metaverse uh, web uh, web 3.0 is all the hot topic uh, these these days, and we see brands starting to uh, to jump on the bandwagon, right? We see the spirits industry taking taking the lead, but I think the wine industry will follow um, shortly in in creating virtual. Uh, virtual spaces um, uh, again in the in the metaverse. Um, you know, VR is a great way to experience a winery if you if you can't um, travel. Uh, if we have another pandemic, if we have another lockdown, I think we need to think further into the future and not just think um, the time that we just experienced is over. Um, it's probably very likely that we'll we'll encounter that again. So how do how does a winery how does a a wine business prepare? Um, uh, prepare to to address the next time, and I think that's where VR comes in. As far as augmented reality is is concerned, uh, I think there too, um, just as the example that was just cited about um, you know 19 crimes, for instance, with their um, uh, with their label that you can scan uh, and it comes to life. I think you take that one step further, and with geolocation. You can overlay when someone's in uh, a wine region and um, is looking at a vine and scanning a vine to be able to to pull up data um, and 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 tell the user exactly what that vine is, what wine it goes in, uh, what wine the grapes go into, um, and that's how you leverage um, um, scalability. Because I think the winemaker, the viticulturist, or even even the the host at a at a winery again is a finite resource. So when you add in those other technolo technological options, 
you were really able to scale to, to and, and reach a, a much broader audience. So that's my prediction. Thank you. Very, very interesting. I'm going to move. I didn't see any hands up. Okay, let's move on. Brenda Boudreau, this is an interesting topic. We talk about it in terms of industries, in terms of supply chain, in terms of resources, and we're going to talk about it in terms of why now. Brenda says sustainability is becoming coming more to the forefront of the wine conversation. Brenda, talk to us. Yeah, so when you think about, obviously, wine making is part of agriculture. So if you think of where we stand today as it relates to, if you look at Napa Valley, just, you know, close to us, kind of the uh, what's happening with climate change, things like that, sustainability is kind of, you know, it's top of mind for the winemakers. And what's happening is, you know, obviously they're, they're, they're farmers, they're, they're winemakers, and they have, you know, they're kind of that conversation about not just the climate change, uh, but also from a uh, social front with labor market. You see what some uh, winemakers are starting to do globally is actually put labels like nutrition labels, put labels with the from uh, what type of um, harvest workers are working on the product. It's it's very unique, and to give the um, give the knowledge to the consumer about what you know what they're doing on the labor front, because that's also part of more you know they want to highlight that process as far as from a social um, social front aspect. If you look at the sustainability, you know, from the winemaking, not so much, but really the part that has, they have a low carbon footprint, but that's something that can be tracked now from a technology standpoint, standpoint, the, the carbon footprint can be tracked with analytics. They, they can know kind of what they're producing, what carbon footprint they're producing and what their goals are, but also really the big portion of the winemaking process is really more in the transportation and the packaging. If you see today, there's a lot of winemakers that are going away from bottles and more towards uh, paper and also kind of cans. So when you look at that, you know, that comes into that sustainability. So the winemakers are, are I, I believe, are actually kind of on the forefront uh, with the sustainability when it comes to both the labor and the social part and also the um, just the, you know, the manufacturer and the production. They are doing they are doing things to um, bring that to awareness and they are looking at how they can reduce the carbon footprint. And like I said, the climate change is a big factor. So they want to, you know, be proactive in this for, you know, the fires in California, things like that. They want to be able to, you know, prepare for those and be in the right position. Thank you. Very, very interesting. Bill, she is touching on the prediction we're going to do from you next. Anybody have anything <laughs> besides Bill? Anybody have anything to say about what Brenda shared about sustainability? We good? Okay, Bill, I'm going to prediction number four. You say climate change. Brenda, you have a way, a way of introducing topics. I didn't know I was the transition, yeah. You, you are, dear, and it's, it's great. It's fine. That's what flows the conversation. Bill says climate change will impact wine varietals grown in certain key regions, and this will in turn introduce new experiences associated with new varietals. Bill, what do you think? Well, for sure. So first of all, I just want to do a quick shout out to uh, Jason Haas and the team at Tablas Creek, who were on one of your previous shows, Bonnie. They just sold out of their boxed rosé, their um, that's uh, their Rhone blend rosé. And, uh, you know, packaging has just come a long way. So, Brenda, to your point, it's uh, and it's 
we as consumers really enjoy that. Um, speaking to varietals, climate change is also playing a really big part in all of that. Um, as my work with a as a founding tastemaker for the platform VineBase, which supports small production winemakers, we get we get to sample a lot of really interesting varietals coming from new places. I recently just had an experience with a small winemaker named Sam Parra up in Willamette Valley. Sam's doing cool climate Tempranillo, which for those of us who are familiar with Rioja blends, you might not really associate that with the with the northern part of the Willamette Valley. But that gets very interesting now because most people who are going to um, to Willamette Valley who want to drink Pinot, Chardonnay, some of the more traditional Burgundian uh, varietals, they may not be looking or exp or expecting. Uh, uh, you know, a paella dinner in the middle of Willamette Valley, you know, as a part of some kind of new cultural vino tourism that, you know, a new set of wine varietals might introduce. We've seen decent success in upstate Michigan with Pinot Noir grapes, and even in real traditional um, growing areas, even Bordeaux. Research is going on right now to understand what may be some of the non-traditional varietals that could be introduced um, that could take that without changing the nature of place, but could extend uh, the culture and the conversation around the, the, the wine tourism industry and the experiences that certain um, areas might be able to offer in the future. So um, with everything, there's there's opportunities and threats. And I think that this is going to be kind of maybe maybe a happy accident when it comes to climate change that we can maybe harness our creativity a little bit and uh, kind of expand our palates in the meantime. Thank you very much. Here again, we go with another good segue from one to the other. Bill, I had picked another prediction from Beth, who's, who's next after you, that you touched on in your in your conversation there. But what's interesting is we're going to take it in a slightly different direction. Uh, Beth says the challenge for regional branding, which is a slightly different take on what you're talking about, Bill. She says consumers may need to readjust expectations of what styles and varieties are expected in classic wine regions around the world. Tourism will be affected if consumer acceptance of new unknown grape varieties is not readily embraced. So let's talk about that regional branding. Go ahead, Beth. Yeah, I think this is both for consumers and for wine brands, something that's going to have to be an open dialogue. Uh, as the climate warms, certain grape varieties that have always grown in these classic wheat regions in both Europe and in North America are probably not going to be optimal anymore. So taking that sort of what we assume of the, what the Napa Valley represents or what the brand of Bordeaux represents and how flavor and, pro, and, and grape profile and the experience that we have in our glass really represents a region that's going to have to evolve. And it's sort of going to take both sides to, you know, companies to be able to communicate it really well and sort of incorporate I, I come back to Bordeaux thinking because they have actually changed regulations recently to incorporate new varietals that are not known to the region. Um, some are, are known, you know, Tariga Nacional, for example, in Portugal, but is going to now be allowed to be grown in, in Bordeaux. But how do we translate that into sort of the French uh, lifestyle and the French branding of that region? And will consumers be excited about that? Will those flavors... And that experience in the glass be something that they are, they're accepting of. 
again, in Germany, there's a warming of the climate there, which is good for some grape regions, um, some of the cooler climate regions. They're maybe growing a bit more reds in, in regions that they didn't prep previously. But going into a lot of hybrid varieties that have never been made before, I'm thinking of, you know, Rondo or Cabernet Blanc. How do you communicate a grape that no one has ever really experienced, never heard of, never tasted? How do you bring that into a conversation and say, this represents the, the Rheingau or the Mosul? So I don't know exactly how that will translate, but I predict that that conversation, those that jump on it early and start communicating early about how those new grape varieties and those new flavors are a part of their regional branding and, and, and really take the time to explain that and, and, and make that change something that's acceptable for the consumer will be sort of at the forefront of global warming and, and the change of grape varieties being planted. Thank you very much. Very interesting. We have a lot to look forward to. Let's see if we can squeak in two more. We've got six minutes left. Two more quick predictions. Christian Ogenfuss, I'm looking at prediction number four. This is interesting. You say trial size bottles will transform how people are exposed to new wines. Oh my, be still my little trial size heart there. Christian, go ahead. Yeah, look, you know, one of the, one of the biggest things is if you can't travel and 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 to a winery and taste the wine in in person, how are you going to be exposed to new uh, to new varieties just as as Beth had had, had said um, uh, and that's really breaking um, breaking the wall right between uh, between the consumer uh, and the winery uh, or the wine region um, that is created by uh, by distance, and we we've, we've seen uh, a lot of that change happen here during the pandemic, right? Where forward thinking brands have fractionalized, you know, seven hundred and fifty milliliter bottles down into fifty milliliters or hundred milliliter bottles, and then got them into consumers' hands, um, and marrying that with with the experiences that we. Uh, talk about those virtual tasting experiences, right? And the more that that happens, I think the more the industry will will grow and the more uh, people will be interested in wine. Uh, and ultimately, the more people will travel uh, to wine regions uh, to experience wine uh, first firsthand. So I think there's going to be a big shift. I mean, we face an uphill battle here in the US, right, with our very antiquated liquor laws and where we can ship uh, wines to. Uh, so there is there is some headwind in 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 that regard, um, but I'm personally pretty excited uh, about the fractionalization of of wine. We've used it here uh, in our educational programs at Napa Valley Wine Academy um, to great uh, to great success. Um, and uh, you know, I look forward to seeing other brands leverage uh, leverage that opportunity as well. Thank you very much. Let's squeak in one more here quickly, Brenda Boudreaux. I'm looking at your prediction number four. This is interesting. You say domestic wine tourism will continue to expand. Brenda, two minutes, go ahead. I think as Bill mentioned earlier, what he was talking about, kind of what happened with the Airbnbs and kind of as hospitality shut down during COVID, what we did see that we did see domestically, travelers stayed closer to home because of COVID, because they could only, you couldn't, you know, there weren't as many flights, things like that. So where there are a lot of travel restrictions. So travelers stay closer to home. So I think it really gave them the opportunity to explore places that they hadn't explored that, you know, are in driving distance. Now, I will say, you know, now that the price of gas is up, I think that's still 
it's still more economical. I just booked airfare the other day than a flight to somewhere. <laughs> so I, I think domestically and what I've said, what I've seen from statistics, Bonnie, what you mentioned at the beginning of the predicted growth, mm -hmm. not just domestically, but globally for wine tourism is, I, I think, almost like triple, probably, you know, five times as as much. And then, you know, so based on that, as Bill mentioned, also different regions. I mean, even here, I, I reside in Las Vegas, even here uh, over the, you know, over the mountain in Pahrump, there's like a couple wineries. So there's a lot of local regional, you know, wineries that have given the ability for people to explore during COVID. So I think you add in the virtual tasting, you know, there, there's there been a lot more education because people had nothing but free time, you know, other than working from home, free time to kind of, you know, explore new things. So, you know, the prediction is that really from a domestic standpoint, it's going to continue to grow. And and there are new experiences um, and ways to experience wine tourism here in the U.S. That's whether it's with golf, paired with golf, paired with food, paired with bicycling. There's a lot of great things. So, Looking forward to it. Thank you very much. And I want to give one other uh, destination, wine wine destination comment. I mentioned being on Long Island and going to the wineries. Uh, a friend of mine, dear friend of mine, who actually inspired me to get started, I had my own TV shows on Long Island for years. Uh, Larry Davidson would interview authors on his local TV shows. And he partnered with one or more of the wineries on the, the East End. And they would, I believe, customize labels on a certain number of bottles, Bill knows this, with something that looked like the cover of the books he was going to be interviewing their author on that particular day. And people would buy the wine with the label of the book cover on it. Now, that was probably a very early experience, right, Bill? Right, mm -hmm. Beth? Right, Brenda? Right, Christian? An experience in local, very local wine travel where people would go to the, I was saying east end, north end, I don't know which way is up, but anyway, you know, it was in the Hamptons, out, out east. And uh, they would they would purchase the wine with a, a remembrance of the book of the author who was interviewed at that winery in that location and the whole experience was carried through on the label of the bottle. I thought that was kind of cool. I haven't talked to Larry in years. I'm going to see if I can find him. Anyway, I want to thank the four of you. This has been very, very interesting. I appreciate all of the effort you put into creating your predictions and especially your quotes that were really, really cool. Uh, Bill, thank you for engaging this wonderful panel. Appreciate it. I raise a glass. There'll be something in this later, but not while I'm hosting. Isn't that pretty? There you go. That glass. And I was telling everybody that I'm, I went to the last drop of the Manischewitz for my Seder last Friday night. Yeah, so that, that's gone. Now I can walk again. Beth Kazmarek, nice to meet you. Brenda Boudreau, I want to talk to you about doing a show on the future of entertainment if you'd like to. Do something with me. Christian Ogenfus, loved, loved your comments. Thank you so much. I'm glad you're educating people at your Wine Academy. Thank you to Gabe, our engineer. And I have a quick homework assignment for you right now. It's not a pop quiz, uh, Beth. It's nothing like that. But I want you all, I'm going to, on the count of three, I'm going to say one, two, three, and we're all going to say, and wag your finger, no, no, no. You ready? So the question is, is the future already here, as some people say? One, two, three. No, 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 no. no, no. no. Oh, you're good. The three, you're always Let's do it again. Is the future already here? One, two, three. No, 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 no. Because no. that was yesterday's future, and today's future hasn't happened yet. Actually, it did after I said, yep, that was the future, and now it's the past. It happens that fast. We're all here. 
to make it a much better one, happier, healthier, drink up, and as my people say, l'chaim, to life. Everybody, don't go away. We're going to chat afterwards. So thank you, Gabe. Are we out? Thank you for joining us for Technology Revolution, the future of now. Mark your calendar to join host Bonnie D. Graham every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel to hear how technology is impacting your future now.